I am a transgender woman. I know from my own experience that I was born this way. There are beliefs by otherwise intelligent human beings that being transgender is something we just sort of make up, that sex and gender are automatically the same or in alignment 100%. Since I was born with male sex organs, being a transgender woman is a fiction of my imagination, according to them. The scientist Richard Dawkins is one such person. On the other hand, in overcoming this old belief, some people argue that gender and sex are completely distinct from each other, that gender is a purely cultural construct. I think this is also a mistaken belief, though I think many people are motivated to accept it because they are concerned about the negative effects they have faced because of the belief that sex automatically determines gender. My own view is something I've thought through personally for a long time, but I wanted to learn from others who have done research that touches on the subject. In this and the next episode or two, I will draw primarily from the book titled Different, Gender Through the Eyes of a Primatologist and written by Franz DeWall. Mr. DeWall is a professor emeritus at Emory University and the former director of the Living Link Center at the Yerkes National Primate Center. He has done thousands of hours of research into primate behavior, especially our closest DNA relatives, chimpanzees and bonobos, and in his book, he also draws from the research of others in the field. Now, why should we care about the reports by primatologists and anthropologists in zoos of the field with respect to chimpanzees or bonobos in particular? On pages 112 to 113, DeWall says that we are closest in DNA to chimpanzees and bonobos and share some of that DNA with each one that we do not share with the other. We diverged from them between 6 and 8 million years ago, quote, but indications are that it was a messy divorce. While our ancestors charted their own path, they kept coming back for trysts to the apes. Human and ape DNA show signs of a million-year-long hybridization phase, he says. We are different than chimps and bonobos in important ways, and we share some things as well. I think we would do well to be thoughtful in learning from the research into their lives and behaviors. How much of who we are is a result of biology and how much is a product of culture? Are these two the only things that determine who we become? This is an ongoing topic of discussion and debate. I am attracted to the way Franz de Waal approaches this subject. Quote, We have three main ways of finding out whether human preferences have a biological origin, he says on page 25. The first is to compare ourselves with other primates that lack our cultural biases, which is all of them. The second is to look at a large number of human cultures to see which preferences are universal. And the third is to test children so early in life that culture can't have yet influenced them. This attitude of basing our conclusions on scientific observations as much as we can is, I think, the right approach. In the past, many people thought that what differentiated humans from our primates was culture, which we believe comes from speech and writing, while we thought animals, including other primates, who do not have speech in the way we humans do, 
were controlled by instinct. Humans, we believed, had culture because of our ability to talk in full sentences and to write both ways in which we passed our learning on to other humans. And because other primates, including gorillas, chimpanzees, and bonobos, did not have the same speech ability, this was believed to be proof of their reliance on instinct to survive. We do have the ability to speak in ways profoundly different than any of the other primate families, and of course the ability to write and create forms of writing easily available to other humans is a defining difference in our advanced ability to express ourselves and to learn from each other. It is also the reason why our human cultures have changed so much over the eons and why experiments in human culture arise frequently in the modern era. But DeWall points to the extensive research done in both the field where chimps and bonobos live naturally, as well as experiments in controlled environments that contradict those older beliefs. On page 34, after noting that we frequently talk about the mothering instinct, DeWall says, I am skeptical about such framing, though, because the term instinct implies stereotypical behavior. Instinctual behavior sounds inflexible, not worthy of attention, because surely it requires no brain power. The term instinct has fallen out of favor in the study of animal behavior. Even though animals have inborn tendencies, just like humans, these are supplemented by lots of experience. This is true for a natural activity such as flight. Young birds can be incredibly clumsy while learning to take off and land. As for hunting, nest building, and indeed mothering, very few behaviors are instinctive in the sense of requiring no practice." Unquote. He goes on to talk about how attention given to vulnerable newborns is biologically inspired given the long eons of development that has made primates and other animals successful in passing on their genes. And in terms of evolution, caring for babies has been, quote, obligatory for females and optional for males, as DeWall says. But he also writes, this is not to say, however, that females are born with maternal skills. A newborn infant may automatically root for a nipple, but the mother still needs to learn how to nurse. This holds true for humans as well as apes. Many apes fail to take care of their offspring at zoos due to a lack of experience and examples. They don't hold their infant in the right position for nursing, or they pull back if the infant latches onto a nipple. They often need human models to fill the knowledge gaps. And he gives examples of human women who are nursing babies coming into a private space in a zoo where they are separated for safety from a chimpanzee female by glass so the chimp can observe them as they nurse their own infant. The chimps then go on to become successful at mothering their own babies. This can be transferred to many different spheres of life. As DeWall says on page 43, quote, Every human tendency, regardless of whether we rate it as natural, 
can be amplified, weakened, or modified by culture. And then he says, the most common error in nature versus nurture debates is to take proof of one influence as evidence against the other. If the gallons of ink spilled on the biological basis of altruism, war, homosexuality, intelligence have taught us anything, it is that every human trait reflects an interplay between genes and environment. At the same time, some aspects of our being may be more strongly determined by one or the other. We humans are having many debates on potential actions to take that are related to problems we see and our beliefs about what to do about them can be affected in part by implicit or explicit beliefs about how important nature and nurture influences are. In chapter two, DeWall talks about two divergent views of gender, that it is totally determined by natal sex characteristics versus that it is completely divorced from sex and just a cultural phenomenon. On page 48, he says, quote, We have absolutely no need, however, to choose between culture and biology. The only possible position is to be interactionist. Interactionalism assumes a dynamic interplay between genes and the environment. Genes themselves are like seeds dropped onto the pavement. They can't produce anything on their own. Similarly, the environment by itself is hardly relevant because it requires an organism to act upon. The interplay between these two is so intricate that most of the time we are unable to disentangle their contributions. Close quote. In this book, DeWall looks at research both from the field and controlled experiments. I was drawn ever more into the book as I read about his work and the reports of others he cites and the way he lets the observations guide his summary. I believe in using science to guide our beliefs whenever it gives us evidence that seems to reasonably lead to our conclusions. I also believe in being aware of our human imperfections, the ways in which we can become attached to certain beliefs and either ignore physical evidence or just fail to see what is in front of us. And I believe it is a fact that the reality we live in is much more complex than we can imagine, and in many ways beyond our current capabilities to reliably measure many things. In upcoming episodes, I will go more deeply into what Franz Duwall writes, how it affects my own thinking, and what I believe it says about the beliefs of people like Richard Dawkins who have written or spoken about gender. Thank you for listening. If you would like to be notified of future episodes, please sign up on the contacts page of sacredgyre.com.